You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. There we go. Everything right, rises nice. and falls on leadership. Everything. Isn't that what uh, Lee Robertson said? Was that him? We need a new tech guy. It was. We need a tech guy. We need a tech guy. <laughs> but I have confirmed, though, that we're live. So we do this thing on the cheap um, using Tom's Zoom account. And uh, and then I think my name is actually right on here because I'm logged in as Tom. So I make sure I change my name over. How you guys doing? Good to see you tonight. Good to be seen. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I would just like to thank whoever's idea this was. I'd like to thank you for uh, picking the absolute worst time of day and the worst day of the year to start the, you know, the season. Are we going to start the new season with the podcast's leader shifting the blame? Uh, oh, I'm the leader now. Good to know. That's great. You heard it here, folks. No, it is my fault because we we originally had scheduled this at a different time, and I had a scheduling uh, malfunction, and uh, we had to, at the at the last moment changed to Thursday. So all you folks that are supposed to be going soul winning, go soul winning. All you folks supposed to be in church, go to church, and then tune into us afterwards. But if you're at yeah. home watching football, turn football off and watch us. We're better. Yeah. yeah. So it's the opening night of the NFL. Which come on, and then um, some people actually have church on Thursday nights. Don't they? I've heard that rumor. Yeah. I, we've never done a Thursday night soul winning. We're, we're not as spiritual as some folks. We're not as independent, fundamental Baptist as, as others, I guess. So shouldn't bother uh, too many people. It just interrupted my family time. That's we do all. a Thursday night soul winning program, but I don't, I run the Saturday one, not the Thursday night one. So they won't even notice I'm not there. Really? <laughs> so you can do that. You can be the pastor of the church and not be at everything. Took me a long time to figure that out. <laughs> you know, so some NFL pastor really in his twenties is going to be listening to this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going to love what you had to say there. <laughs> Delegation is oh, one of the three rules of leadership. Delegation, you know what, yes. Yeah. Do you know what the other two are? One delegation. Delegation. No. Delegation is one. Mumbling is another one. So you have a defensible excuse that you didn't really say what they interpreted you to say. Oh yeah. And then the third. The third is ponder. So you always can be thinking about something. So ponder, mumble, and delegate. You do those three, you'll be a great leader. Where where did this list come from? Reader's Digest. Really? That was a magazine that used to come out in print in the 20th century. I remember it. I actually was on <clears throat> was alive during that that time. So well, cool. We've got a lot of people who are um watching. So we're on Facebook. We haven't figured out how to do Facebook and YouTube yet. We're just honestly, I, I you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the summer and, and our, our uh, experiences over the summer and whatnot. But I think it always amazes us that, that people tune in. So we don't mm-hmm. go all out. There's two reasons we don't go all out. One is we don't have a tech guy. Um, I'm not the tech guy. I am. Well, we I do. Am the He's tech not guy. very good. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not a tech guy. Uh, he knows how to do limited things. And so therefore we do what we can, um, to, um, you know, we don't have the money. 
Hey, I can't even. I don't know where you were lights. going, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> What'd you say, Martin? I said I can't even turn on the lights. Oh my goodness, that's funny. You actually no, kind of look. Kidding. You look like you did that on purpose. Is that not studio lighting? No, well, it's because the lights I had on were just the regular ceiling lights, and Tom yeah. said it made kind of amplified my boldness, which um, you know, I appreciate him bringing that to my attention. Oh man. Tom has already made comments about your baldness and my gray beard. So your beard is noticeably grayer than the last time I remember noticing it, which, you know, I don't know when that was, but yeah, yeah. you know, I, um, it's pastoring. I'm only 35. I'm, I'm still the boy. I'm still young, still the young guy. So we, um, want to take a few moments just to kind of let people log in. And I guess some people are, I'm, I'm trying to keep track of all of the, uh, uh, the comments, but I'll, I'll have to let you guys talk while I do that. So in addition to the gray, didn't you, aren't you on a lifting program? Don't I see a little more heft in you there, Reverend Russ? No, I, I weigh exactly the same amount as when really? I met you last. Yeah. Yeah. I lifting. Were- yes, I do lift, but I, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't tell people because I don't want to impress them. Uh, the humility in me keeps me from bragging about it, but yeah. You think I've, you think I've gained weight or gained uh, uh, a little bit of a, uh, you look a little thicker. In a good way, because obviously all okay. I can see is your shoulders. Ah. <laughs> thick well, and gray. Tom, yeah. is, Tom is noticing things about me that are now making me uncomfortable. And so moving on. It must be your new iPhone. I, yes. So I do have, I have a new setup here where my iPhone is my camera and it's much better quality. So that may be what we're, what we're working with here. I'm not sure. You talk about getting uncomfortable because of things being noticed. I was running a um, half marathon with some pastors in uh, England a few years ago. And one of the pastors kind of ran on ahead a little bit. And he normally played a lot of basketball. And another pastor who was with me saw him running ahead and kind of said to him, he said, hey, you've got great calf muscles. And it just made him feel really uncomfortable. So, (laughs) So I don't know if it was the basketball or what, but. I guess there are just some things you you don't compliment. Yeah, I was was standing next to a preacher and another preacher walked up to him and said he had beautiful eyes. And I went, and he was serious. I'm like, (laughs) okay, moving on. So Tom, chill it. Come on, man. Help (laughs) understand. So here's the goal. The goal is just to kind of kick things off tonight. And as we said, we were kind of planned on doing this a little later. Tom's schedule um, unexpectedly changed. And so we accommodated uh, the, uh, the senior member of our group. And uh, we wanted to do that for his his sake. So we're here on a Thursday night and starting off. And what we want to do is give you a little bit of an update as to what's coming, uh, what we've been doing over the last few weeks, <clears throat> couple months here with the summer. Um, so I'll start with the summer. One thing that uh, I try to do every summer now, this is two years in a row. I try to attend a conference in a different area of the country with Martin Wickens. And honestly, it's the most incredible experience. I wish everybody could do it. Next time we're going to post your schedule, but yeah, Martin and I, we got to attend the um, Northeast Summit. And I'm curious as to what Martin's uh, feedback on that conference is. I had never been, I just happened to know a lot of the people involved in the conference. um, Whereas Martin had a little less uh, familiarity there. So what'd you think, man? Oh, I enjoyed it. It was great. Um, And again, I knew next to nothing about it, but I knew a few people who were going and I've interacted with Pastor Clark on social media a little bit. So, you know, I had some uh, idea, but it was excellent. I mean, the, the messages were great. 
the music was was powerful and getting to spend some time with pastor clark and his family just um you know humble people but you know and so ready mm-hmm. to help and be a blessing uh it was it was really good yeah i enjoyed it yeah we also met uh, some of martin's fans hey they went to you they went to you and i was just stood on the side and just observing oh man we we have to give a shout out to the russo brothers the russo brothers they literally i don't think i've laughed that hard in a very long time uh you were you were lying down on the pew sideways laughing at me so so they they come up to us the first thing they do and i'm pretty sure this was our sarcastic gesture tom but they wanted us to sign bibles and so that was hilarious and then uh i was i was the first one they walked up to and they're like oh oh man we listen to your podcast and martin walked up and i go hey man there's martin wickens and they both literally passed out i mean it was they were they were fangirling it was hilarious and when he spoke with his british accent they they I can't even describe it's almost like idolatry what they were practicing. So I have to, I have to kind of <laughs> protect Martin a little, a little bit there. They were, they were good guys. And oh, they were hilarious. Yeah, it, it was so fun talking to him and, yeah. and, and their dad as well, Pastor Russo. Um, and then there was a gentleman in their church, Eric, I think um, yeah. we got yeah. to meet as well. And just solid people. It, it was yes. a blessing getting to meet them. And what's cool is we've actually got a few of them tuning in right now to the Facebook. So Jared Ballou was there, correct? He was at yes. Yeah, Jared, I'm going to uh-huh. call you, but I thought you were going to call me. And then I look back on the message. So Jared, I will speak to you tomorrow, Ooh. the Lord willing. So there uh, you go. And Jared Pastor's near you, right? Yeah, it's about an hour and 30 minutes, hour and 45, okay. maybe. Yep. Something like that. Yep. Yep. Very Doing cool. a great job. Doing a great job out there. And, trying yeah. to get pastors in Pennsylvania to work together for mm-hmm. uh, church plans and replanting and everything. So if you're interested in that kind of ministry, look him up and yeah. uh, he's, we're looking for the Lord to do big things in Pennsylvania. And he's, he's got a lot of drive and a lot of plans for that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And then Zach Campbell's watching too. He hasn't commented yet, but met him there and a few others. I'm trying to look through. I think, I think there's some others there. Um, oh, th- there was someone else that we met there that Tom knows. And I can't remember who it is now. Do you remember who it was, Martin? Someone there that, that Tom knows, knows Tom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they all knew Tom, but someone, someone who and then knows you him personally. Well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so Tom, tell us about your summer and uh, how it's been going for you. I, because I believe in preparation, Reverend Russ, have a top five list. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> what happened at Bible Baptist Church this summer? Are you ready? Oh, very cool. I am. Number five is the Labor Day Parade. Yes. Um, we had never done something like that before, and we entered uh, the parade and ended up all the way at the back, literally after the fire trucks, but it turned out great. Uh, we did just a simple, we didn't know until a couple of weeks before it started that we could get in, and uh, so we didn't have time to prepare much, but we put our bus in, which is a good-looking bus, and had folks walking down each side of the parade, passing out candy and bookmarks. I think we had about 50 people participate. And uh, just had a great time. Just really great time. I, I think there was ten or 15,000 people on the parade route, and it was cool. Wow. So we're looking forward to doing that again. So great that was number outreach. five. Number four on our top five list at Bible Baptist Church this summer was uh, our young people's trip to Youth Congress. They went to mm. Knoxville, Tennessee. So the way our youth group functions is they do one youth conference trip every year, and they rotate that among six different Bible colleges, in essence. 
so that a, child, a young person in our youth group can visit six different colleges. And so this year they went to Knoxville to see Crown College and to participate in Youth Congress. And they raised all the money for that themselves with a trackathon. They raised $6,000 with a trackathon, which is just phenomenal. And I applaud them in that. So we were all excited about that. The number three thing that happened at our church over the summer is we actually increased in attendance over the spring, which is yeah. really unusual. Yeah. And it wasn't because we had a split in the, in the spring. Um, <laughs> we, we weren't high in the spring, but we, we've gone up in the summer, which is really rare. I'm right. grateful for it. The second one was vacation Bible school. We had a really good vacation Bible school. Had, I think, about 15 children saved and good participation, workers, good spirit, all of that. All of which leads me to my number one event at our church this summer. Can you do a drum roll? Do you got like sound effects there? And our tech guy. I believe in drums. Out. You don't believe in drums? Okay. So here's the number one event. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. It was Martin Wickens preaching for us on a Sunday night. Oh, there it is. <laughs> that just happened though, didn't it? It did. Well, it was about a month ago, I guess now. But he and his family did come through and got to spend uh, a few days with us. And we were happy to put them up and, and fellowship with them and enjoy their company. And I really enjoyed it. And got to meet his children and his lovely wife. And But yeah, he preached. And it was like, you know, I, I read about things like sinners in the hands of an angry God, you know. <laughs> Those sort of events, <laughs> payday someday with RG Lee, yes. but I never got to experience one firsthand. Mm. And so, you know, Revival. my church was able to experience that is just the number one thing happened to us also. Wow. Martin, he's got a list. <laughs> so, so Tom's, Tom's uh, poke there uh, about preparation is earlier. They asked if I'd made any notes for tonight. I'm like, no, notes are for sermons. Thoughts are for conversations. That's what we're doing here. But Tom can't help himself. Uh, Martin, do you have anything else that you'd like to add? I know I kind of threw the the whole conference thing on you, but how'd your summer go, man? It was good. It was a good summer. Um, uh, we've been pretty consistent in the church. We we had our renovations completed, and so I think that was the biggest kind of material thing going on with us. Oh yeah. And it's a project that we've been trying to get done for a long time, and the church has been very uh, patient and um, just a lot of unity in getting it done. So that's exciting just making it more functional for the way that we want to use it. And it's been just a good summer. Vacation Bible school, again, was was really good. Um, on a personal level, being able to get away for a couple of weeks on vacation was mm-hmm. uh, very much a blessing. And it was it was, uh, it was only about two weeks ago, um, as, uh, as Mandy has pointed out. Yeah. Um, and it was great, you know, just, just uh, you know, we, we loved – being with the Brennans, um, we really enjoyed Dubuque as a location, and uh, the church was a blessing. So, uh, yeah, it was good. We got to see uh, Marty Montgomery. I'm using his mug. I want to give him a shout out. Oh, oh Baptist. Yeah. yeah, only so, two hours uh, from me, and uh, you did not. Uh, you did not come to see me. Well, anyway, what did you do, <laughs> Summer? <Stuart? laughs> Go and see Marty, and you'll get a good mug. Hey, man. Well, okay. So we had a good, really good summer, Tom. Uh, we also grew during the summer, which Amen. is just, you know, just kind of one of those things you never expect when it happens. It's, it's really awesome. Um, the, probably the highlight of the, of the year at this point is getting our Christian school off of the ground. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, we got it started and we have 10 students and we have three teachers and a principal and um, a lot of people are sacrificing. A lot of people are, are really working very hard to get this thing going. It's the great thing about it is, is 
the staff of the school are really doing a good job, which alleviates a lot of hands-on pressure from me. And so they're doing, uh, they're doing what they were brought on to do, you know, and so just a huge win as far as efficiency goes there. Um, and we believe that uh, it's only going to grow. So, you know, my goal was 30 students and we started with 10, um, but better to start than not to start and better to start with who God wants, I think, that than, uh, than a large crowd. And so um, that was really, really good. Uh, we ended the summer with a, a revival meeting with Brother R.V. Willette. Pastor Willette there is a good, dear friend of ours. Um, preached here many years. Tom, he, he knows you. Martin, he kind of knows you just through the podcast. We got to interview him last season. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, he's still recovering. His voice was gone, like gone. And uh, he got up and he said, I'm told I sound like Batman. I mean, that's how bad, that's how gone it was. And <clears throat> more gone than when, it, when he was with you, Tom. Um, and um, he preached, the people listened, he whispered the whole time mm-hmm. and the, mm-hmm. the altars were full. I mean, the Lord just really worked. Um, the the third highlight that I'll share. And then, you know, again, we don't have to, we don't really have a set time that we're shooting for tonight. So we're just going to kind of talk until we're done, I guess. But the third highlight is that um, after the summit, I came back to our church and uh, I don't know, this was not taught there. So it wasn't per se a, um, a challenge that we were given or anything, but it's just something the Lord laid on my heart, probably more because I needed it than anyone else. But I thought, you know, the Bible says my house shall be a house of prayer for all people. And I knew our church was a good church. I knew our church had praying people in our church. Um, I'm not convinced that the pastor's prayer life is where it should be. And so I feel like I have a lot of growing to do there. Um, but one thing that we had really failed, and and I say failed, I had failed on, is leading our church to pray corporately. That has been something that has changed in our church culture over the past six weeks. I think, I think Martin, it's been six weeks since the summit. Um, mm-hmm. The Sunday after we came back, basically, I just got up Sunday morning. You know how traditional service, uh, the choir opens with a chorus. We sang a song and I get up to welcome and pray. And I never know what to say during that time. Do you guys ever know what to say? During I always talk about whatever the first song was. Yeah. Yeah. So generally, I, you, there's a pattern or generally I just go lately. I've just been going straight into prayer because I'm like, if I don't have anything to say, I'm not going to say it. Um, but this time I said, we're going to do something different. And I shared that verse, mine house shall be a house of prayer for for all people, which was in Isaiah mentioned by Jesus in the New Testament. And I said, you know, I think our church has praying people in our church. I think that we're a good church. I don't know that we're a praying church. And so I asked everybody and I told them, I said, this is going to be awkward. If you're visiting today, I I really, I don't apologize, but I I feel sorry for you because you're going to think this is really strange. Uh, But, you know, think about it. Should it seem strange that a church prays? I said, I just want everybody to gather in groups of two, three, no more than five, share a prayer request from each person, if you have one, and then go to corporate prayer. And we did that. And it was very like, it was like, it was, you know, we had to break the icicle a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, I told them, I said, our, our goal for the next month, really the month of August is we're calling every meeting a prayer meeting. So Saturday morning, soul winning meeting is a breakout prayer meeting. Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We even did it in Sunday school in our class and we broke out into groups. I didn't try to control the groups. Occasionally I gave extra guidance. Like I asked all of the teenage 
uh, young men and college age young men to come down and then an adult male to come and join one of them and to pray with one of them until somebody had everybody to pray and pray over them. Um, another one I read from James where it talks about the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And we had a lot of people in the past month with health struggles in our church. And so we prayed specifically for them. Um, prayer for revival and awakening, prayer for forgiveness and confession. And so we tried to share a scripture before every prayer time. Um, and I, it has transformed the spirit of our services. It, it, I don't take credit for it, but mm. had God not given me that idea, I don't think our church would be where we are today. I thought it would scare people away. I think people have, even visitors, have come back because they saw us doing imperfectly what God, what a perfect God commands us to do. Um, and and it, we haven't tried to be showy about it. We've just said, hey, you know, pray, just pray with someone and talk to a guy Wednesday night. We're still doing it about half of the services. And I prayed with a gentleman and he he said, you know, it's always awkward at the beginning. He's a newer person to our church over the last couple of years, you know, and still growing in his faith. And he said, it's a little awkward at first. I always feel really weird. He said, but it's almost like the Holy Spirit just moves in after we gather gather together and pray. And he said, by the time we're done, it's different, you know? And so that's, that's been a highlight for us. I don't know if we'll ever know what it accomplished, but I do know that it's been really, really good for our church. So So can I circle back for a second to that, to the Christian school? Yes, sir. So it is, it is relatively rare for Christian schools to open now. Mm -hmm. It's more common for them to close what is what is different or unique about your situation that led you to buck that trend? One, when God gave us the new facility here about four years ago, um, you know, I'm not saying that the Lord told us to do this, but it just seemed very obvious that God gave us a facility to use it for what it was already set up to do. It was a school. Right. We had had a school. And when the church changed hands, the new pastor cut the school out. That was me. Yeah. Um, I was the assistant pastor before. And so I actually asked my grandfather, the pastor at the time, I said, can I announce that the school is not going to um, continue next year before you announce the transition? And hmm. he said, he said, sure, that's, yeah, that's, that'd be fine. And so we did that. Um, but that's been nine years or 10 years. I'm sorry. So 10 years ago. Uh, and my burden has always been to have a school. I, I have honestly, I have felt, Again, I can't can't speak for what everyone else should do in this. Just personally, I have felt like God uh, wanted me with all the different ministries we have. God wants that school to be something that I started early in my ministry so that I would have time to build, develop, grow it and establish it so that I can see it happen and and grow for 30 years uh, if that if the Lord would give me the grace to do that. And so um we tried to get it going a year ago and it wasn't the right time. And so we, we just said, Hey, we're doing it in the fall of 23. And so that's what we did. Uh, again, started small. We, we felt very strongly that it needed to be done, uh, at a level that was, um, that showed how serious we are. And so rather than doing a video school, which I'm not opposed to, and rather than doing like an ACE program where the students teach themselves, which I know are, it's done successfully in other places. I wanted a classroom setting, for every student. And so we have um, first through sixth right now. We're just grade school. Uh, we didn't have any uh, kindergartners that were uh, coming in at the, at the time. Um, and they all have a teacher. There are three teachers. They teach multiple grades. They do a fantastic job. Half of the teaching, half of the teaching staff have 
a lot of teaching experience. The other two are relatively newer, so they're the older are teaching the younger. Um, we just felt like number one with the way that public education is growing or going rather. And then the fact that there wasn't a conservative traditional Christian option here that was teaching um, at a level we were comfortable with for our children, our mm-hmm. personal children, my wife and I, our children, we felt like we could, we could start it and that there was enough of a market in this area that we wouldn't necessarily compete with anyone or hurt anyone yeah. else's ministry. Right. And so that's kind of the long, I started to say long and short of it. It's kind of the long of it. <laughs> Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's good to see. I think increasingly there is going to be a need for Christian education at, at every level. Right. Um, and it, it really is a challenge. And we've heard, I mean, we've, we've spoken about Christian education before and we've got a season preps coming up for this come in fall. Uh, but I think even finding Christian school teachers is going to increasingly be a problem. Um, and we've heard from, you know, Bible colleges that that's the case. Yes. Um, I will say this too, depending on the state, Christian schools are actually growing. For instance, last year, oh, okay. <laughs> last year in Michigan at their, they did the, uh, there's a regional um, Christian educators conference that um, like PCC is, they send their people to. Um, we have, I know a guy up in Indianapolis who's a Christian lawyer. He goes up, speaks at it and all that. And um, anyway, they, um, they give away an award to someone every year for like excellence in Christian education or excelling Christian education, starting a school, developing a school, growing a school, whatever. And they gave it to Gretchen Whitmer last year. <laughs> Whitmer. Holy soul. <laughs> because, because all of the mandates and the crackdowns and all of the lockdowns and everything. And she uh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I thought that's put so many students into Christian schools. Yeah. 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 That's yeah in funny, sarcasm. Actually. In sarcasm, the guy literally announced this year, drum roll, please, it's going to Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and everybody just died laughing. That is so apparently Christian education is on the rise again, and it has a lot to do with that. And we do have a podcast prepped for it, um, ready to go here in just a, a few weeks, which people will be able to tune in and kind of get our thoughts on a little bit more. And I think probably it's a part one of another discussion we might have down the road. I agree with you about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so. And I, and I know that in some states that there that uh, vouchers have become a thing. It is here in Iowa. Uh, the legislature and governor passed it yes. last year, two years ago, and so actually you can get up to seven thousand dollars a year to send your kid to private school. Now there's a mm-hmm. lot of restrictions on it. it. Has to be an accredited school. Has to be in existence for a while. Have mm-hmm. X number of students, etc. So you can't take it and start yeah. a school. But it is, I think, going to benefit, uh, especially the parochial school system and. Yes. Um, Things of that nature. So Indiana has a similar system and they fund the student <laughs> kind of like what you mentioned. They fund the student. Mm-hmm. Um, the They used to have a lot of restrictions on that. The legislature has been whittling away, removing those restrictions, increasing the income um, level that, you know, the cap keeps rising uh, to where mm-hmm. if you make now it's if you make over, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to give the wrong stats. So you can make a lot of money and be a family of four and still get the money to send your kids to a school that is able to receive that those fundings, and so uh, that's something we're looking into. That's also kind of a um, a touchy subject among some, yeah, uh, in, you know, Christianity at large, but independent Baptists, and so. Um, but we we feel comfortable because Indiana does not seem to be going toward a more strict route, but away from that route 
rapidly. I mean, this past legislative session, they did some incredible things. So we're one of the best states for that. And and I'm excited to see how it can be a blessing to us in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Any other updates before we jump into a, a topic of sorts? I know we've got a few people. Cole is asking where Martin is. I mean, Martin, uh, are you here? I'm in the shadows. Ah, that's what it was. For those who weren't here at the beginning, um, Tom said he didn't like the look of my face, and so I just turned the lights off. I think it was the glare from your forehead is what he said. Okay, um, I didn't say it. The whole Meniere's thing in bright lights, you're just killing me, you know? <laughs> and it wasn't the light. It was the reflection from the light. <laughs> it was the reflection. Yeah. Oh, so, man. So do we have any feedback that we want to share? Anything at all? I, I was uh, curious to hear if there was anything that you guys had collected i don't recall there were a few questions that came up when we posted recently that we were getting ready to do a new season and right. i think some of them uh you know are going to be developed into a whole episode on their own mm-hmm. but speaking of christian education um katie asked uh what our thoughts were on ifb colleges seeking accreditation the pros and cons of it and i think i could see it again i think it's going to depend on the state going to depend on where the accreditation is coming from. I think if it's simply driving academic excellence, that's a good thing. But quite often there can be strings attached, which, you know, that could bring some negatives to it as well, if that's going to restrict what you can yeah. teach. But well, I do I'm not sure this. exactly how it works over here. Right. And and you mentioned what state they're in. Well, so to some level, that's irrelevant if you're pursuing third-party Christian accreditation. By the way, thank you for saying mm-hmm. the word right, Martin. It's not accreditation; it's accreditation. Glad you said that right. Etc. Um, Etc. Et <laughs> yes. So, it, it, at least I know on the on the Christian school level too is what we're pursuing in accreditation is not um, state accreditation. It's third-party. It's Christian. Uh, it's very much. Right in line with our values. And I think there's some national entities that are third party like that, that some of the Bible colleges have started to look at. Um, I can't say, you know, I would be opposed to it. I don't, I don't know all of the ins and outs of it. Um, but I do know that it's been a big, you know, sticking point for some people that our, our Bible colleges are not accredited. So. So since I'm the old school guy, um, yeah. I, I have a concern about it. I can see the benefits of it and the pluses of it. And I can see the wisdom of approaching it, obviously, using a third-party Christian group rather than, you know, some state group. My concern with it is, is ecclesiastically, if I view the, the school as a ministry of the church, and that's, that's my ecclesiology, then you're essentially saying we're allowing an outside agency to determine how we run a ministry of our church. And I think that comes really close to crossing the line of somebody else telling a church what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that is in addition to the fact that there's strings and potentially that could be negative. I think just the fact of it is itself potentially doctrinally problematic. I don't know that I've studied a great deal, but that is my, um, that's that's sure. what's lurking in the back of my mind as we as we just chat about this briefly. Yeah, and I think I think that has been the long-standing concern that's been thrown out there, right? So I guess where I'm at on that issue then <clears throat> is if the if those are the conditions, then and I hate to speak without 
a certain right. level of education on the matter. And so, yes, and I, f- I feel that too about this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah keep that in mind is for, for our listeners sake. That, Be patient with us, please. Well, yeah. Or just know that we're speaking from a, a, a position of not knowing everything there is to know about it. Um, I think, um, I think as long as what Martin said is the case that there are educational standards, they hold you to those standards. I think that's a good thing. And I think if you willfully put yourself there, I don't see a problem with ecclesiastical separation. Um, because if you together as a church decide or an, or an organization, a Bible college under a church, you know, this is the route we want to go, then, then it's a decision made by the church. I mean, it's, it's the, the church decided to do this. And, and then if anything were to change, well, then we can make our, our decision going forward as well. And that's, that's something we're having to look at as well with the Christian school is I, I think that Arizona had a really good system at one point and then it changed. And so it can, it can do that. Uh, a lot of the Indiana schools that I talked to and sought counsel from their administrators, their pastors and whatnot said that they have a savings plan that basically as their student body grows and it will grow with the availability of, of vouchers or scholarships um, that they set back like 20 to 20, 25% of their income and tuition income a year. And so that way, if something were to ever change, they had enough set back to be able to basically take a year. Yeah. Take a year and let people get through that uh, in order to shift over to a different model. And so I think it's, I think it's doable, but again, coming from a background, not knowing about Bible college accreditation, I would want to do more study. I'd I'd be curious because, you know, this podcast goes places. We never even consider that it goes for someone who has a rather educated opinion about this to share Mm -hmm. it, you know, not necessarily, you know, with us publicly, but, but send us some, I don't care if you do that too, but send us a message and give us maybe some more resources we could take a look at on, on either side of that and uh, tell us what you think. Yeah. There's, there's some people watching right now, I think might have some information about it. So hopefully someone will get that message as well. So any other feedback, Martin? uh, There was another question from um, uh, Brent uh, and I may not go through all of them, but um, a couple which might be easier just to deal with briefly, but Brent was asking about uh, conditional immortality, and as I understand it, the uh, the teaching that only the saints will be raised for eternity, and mm-hmm. um, those who have never been saved are basically destroyed. Um, right. So, what are your thoughts on that? I'm going to go turn on my lights. So, if anybody needs to put on sunglasses and protect their eyes, I'll be right back. Oh man, what did I don't think I've ever heard that heard that phrase conditional immortality, but I reject for a variety of reasons the whole idea and concept of soul sleep or soul annihilation. Yeah, I I think the Bible is very clear. For instance, Lazarus is in hell. That's not a parable. He was he was in hell at the time. You know that happened in Luke chapter nineteen. That was in the New Testament. Um, The the great white throne judgment. You know, sentences that sentences people who have been dead to go back to hell. Uh, those are two two things I would give relatively off the top of my head to say that 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 is not that's that's not a, a doctrinal position we would hold. Yeah, what I've heard of it and read of it because it's been more popular in recent years um, to suggest mm-hmm. that maybe you know those who do die and go to hell will eventually just cease to exist. Their souls are no longer eternal, but I, I have never seen in anything that I've read or anything that I've heard, never seen or heard anything that's biblically founded in that. And so, man, I, I, yeah. I, I hear it and I go, I know why someone came up with this idea is because the idea of hell is just horrible. Yes. 
Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if man. there was ever something I disagreed with that I wished I could agree with, it right. would be that. Hmm. Yes. But uh, for the reasons you guys have been stating, I just don't see it as a uh, tenable position. No. And I know there have been some prominent teachers recently in the last 15 years that have popularized that view. And I think, wasn't right. there a book, Love Wins or something? I'm trying to remember. Bad book, bad author. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And I said I it was maybe. I told myself to be nice tonight. I don't, I don't read books. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is, I'm sorry. They, go they ahead. Have an audio book. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Man. Do they do they have a short form version? Pamphlet. <laughs> Actually, ChatGPT. Will ChatGPT will summarize a book for you and give you the cliff notes. It's, <laughs> I see Tom. <laughs> Tom just like or you can just get on my quote list and get it better. <laughs> shameful. Shameful. Oh, I okay, love it. Okay, so um, moving on. Um, so if we do one more, maybe. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on the King James? <laughs> no, we're going to be covering that. We're, we've we've been discussing it. Uh, Ooh, I've never heard of this guy. A, King who? King who? King, uh, King James. King James. Um, King King Jimmy. Um, yeah, LeBron? We, we've discussed it. <laughs> what was that? LeBron. Sorry. Hey, do you want to? You know what? I've never met LeBron. I don't know much about him. What I do know, I just despise the man. Um, just I think there's a lot of know. people on that list. Yeah, in his defense, uh, he graduated from the same high school my dad did. Really? That's not a defense, but okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I was trying to think of a I'm segue, not sure how I that come up with. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, just to you know, the way my brain works, I'm now thinking about King. William, King William of Orange. Now, someone was asking recently, I was Pastor Russo. Uh, I saw him saying something about Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland and all that. King William of Orange is the one who defeated the Catholic King Charles and made it so that Britain would be a Protestant kingdom from that time forward to now. And the troubles go back to then. Um, The followers of King William of Orange and some of his write-ins kind of have you know echoes in the uh u.s constitution declaration of independence but anyway um followers of king william moved to america lived up in the mountains and they became known as hillbillies because they were followers of king billy king william so you got the hillbillies oh wow my friends was all that was all for free i feel like we're listening to paul harvey give us the rest of the story and that's the rest of the story (laughs) amazing hey here's one online right now peter mosley says it may be off topic but do y'all see a rise oh you're definitely from georgia do y'all do y'all see a rise in hyper dispensation where y'all are at i've seen so many people fall into it in recent years especially in southern georgia see he's southern he doesn't even put an apostrophe in it he just uses it as a word on its own we (laughs) like you peter you're doing a good work yeah answer your question not in iowa no. Yeah, I'm not really. Uh, I there, There's a church that I know of not too far from me that's definitely hyper-dispensational. Um, but don't they essentially just run themselves out of business? I mean, well, they're so constricted of what they believe and how they practice that they sort of yeah. choke themselves to death. Tom, why don't you, in brief, explain to the rest of the listeners what hyper-dispensationalism is? Uh, so dispensationalism yeah, is... What it is. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, I'm, t- I'm sorry, Stephen. So, I'm so- chat sorry. GPT I says, should be more respectful. Chat um, GPT. Yeah, I have a chat GPT. To, yeah. <laughs> so 
dispensationalism in brief is the idea that God has administered the world in different ways at different times. And hyper dispensationalism takes that and divides that up in such a way that essentially most of the Bible is not applicable for you and I right now. Right. Uh, and most of the time it, it turns out to be the only thing that applies is everything that happens from the book of Acts onward or from Paul onwards, yes. that, that sort of thing. Well, even in really, the middle of the book of Acts and onwards. You know, yeah, it, it really constricts how you mm -hmm. approach lots and lots of things. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I get furious with it as a concept because it, it removes Jesus. And and when you, when you take the gospels out of my Bible, you know, I don't, yeah. I think the whole Bible is the Bible, right? I still preach and, and, and work through the old Testament. Yep. yep. But if you want to disagree with me about that, I can live with that a whole lot more than you take out Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That just, oh, that yeah. just frosts me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in practice where you tend to see, um, you know, the, the hyper, dispensational churches and one of the best materials against it was written by H.A. Ironside. So this has been a, an issue for a long time. Um, but they don't believe in baptism. Oh, well, they believe in the Lord's table. Some of them don't believe in baptism. Um, and yeah, there, there are some unusual positions that come from it. And I think in the long run, like you said, it does seem to put Jesus into the background and brings and then you know, Peter mentions it, that Paul becomes the figure who is all important. And I I think it comes around in cycles and there are online teachers that yeah. popularize it. Yeah. And is Steven Anderson hyper dispensational? Uh, or is no, he just a mess in not, general? Yeah, he's a mess in general. I, yeah. I did some research, yeah. research on him, but yes, I don't think he's hyper dispensational. Okay. But yeah, so I I think it goes in cycles. I don't think it ever becomes a big movement because I think, like Tom said, it kind of uh, pulls itself apart. Yeah, I don't I don't notice it on the rise. Um, definitely online, you catch little glimpses of it through social media, um, but it doesn't seem to be as big a deal as say Calvinism, Reformed theology. Um, that well, kind of or thing. for example, you know, the whole Hebrew roots movement in that's a, yeah. different aspects that is definitely on the rise. It's definitely on the rise. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, that's well, we an might be good to dedicate a podcast to that actually. Oh, I, I would love that. I, I was about to say something that I can't say right <coughs> now. We have to remember, we have people that we know who listen to this podcast. So yes, yes, um, yes, 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 yes. So, yeah. So the, uh, the, uh, the other thing I was, boy, I was going to mention something. I don't think it's the it same down, make notes. No, no, I don't. I don't make notes for podcasts. Um, what's that all about? This is real, dude. Come on, authentic. Um, use the right word. <laughs> yeah. so, so one thing that I don't, and I don't think it's the same thing, but like your Andy Stanley with his statement on detaching from the Old Testament. Um, mm. that is oh. interesting. That's just liberal. Yeah. Theology. So I think I think that's an end or an expression of the whole woke movement, which is creeping into evangelical churches. Yeah. Yeah, contemporary, yeah especially contemporary evangelical churches. And Brother Ross, I was just thinking about you in relation to this, because I know you've talked to me about having some folks who've come to your church. They've never been independent Baptists before, mm -hmm. but they've been in evangelical churches and they're mm -hmm. running out of places to go yeah. that are not woke. And we yeah. just had a family come, I would say, probably a month or so ago, six weeks ago, and they're still coming now. They drive quite some distance, but that's the case. They, they've run out of these other evangelical churches they want to stay conservative, but almost the only conservative group left to go with is independent Baptist. And, and I, 
it, it, I think there's potential there on the positive side for us. You know, the whole, the darker yeah. it gets, the brighter it shines, the brighter the star shines. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Uh, that's, there's, boy, that could be developed into a, a different conversation altogether. That last mm-hmm. part that you just <laughs> said to it, but we've had that experience. Um, and at the risk of getting hung up on that thought, someone asks here, have you ever heard the baptize in Jesus name only movement? And I have, yes. uh, mm-hmm. recently within, within our church, actually someone asked me about that. So, uh, Evansville is a melting pot. So people who come to us generally do not come having been in an independent Baptist church at all, but it could be anything. I mean, it could be anywhere. And many, many wonderful people who have a lot of doctrine straight come here, but they have little after effects or aftershocks of things that they've come through. And that's one that I've heard from. We do need to get into our topic for the evening, though, which is not going to be, it's not going to take us very long. Um, But we had a a question come up and um, a young, young listener, young is in, I believe he's 22 and he can maybe correct me on that if, um, if that's uh, not the case, but his name is Landon. He said I could share his name. Um, and he called me, he, he said, I want to know your thoughts. Or he asked if we could talk. He said, I want to know your thoughts about pastoring in your twenties. He's engaged to be married. So he's going to be married very soon. Um, and, um, he has an opportunity. And as a matter of fact, I believe it's now since our last conversation, I think that things are moving forward even more. Um, I'm not exactly sure of all those details though. So basically the, the question that we wanted to talk about, talk about is this, you know, should a, should a young man take a church in his twenties? Um, and then beyond that, what can a young man who is pastoring in his twenties do that maybe is foundational at the very beginning of his ministry to set himself up to grow and to stay as clean and, and as, um, uh, mistake free, (laughs) which is impossible, but you know, you can avoid some things. And so we were talking about this as maybe a little bit more of a topic, but all three of us started pastoring in our twenties. Is that correct? It is. And I think that's rather unusual. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. So how, yeah. How, how old were you, you? when you became a pastor? Uh, I was 24. First Sunday had 11 people. Okay. Wow. And were you married at the time? No. So that's why I had, I've had services where literally nobody showed up, not even my family. So yeah, I was, I, I started single <laughs> and I think I I've referenced think this before I did an outstanding job. Uh, we had a year later on our anniversary, we had grown from 11 to eight and, uh, yeah, wow. I've, I've preached to less than five people, I'm going to guess 250 times, you know, just mm-hmm. God humbled me back then. It was good for me. Mm. And would you do that yeah. again? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that's funny because I hadn't thought of that. You know, when I, when I came up with my list tonight of, of things, I, I look back on things I thought I did right and things I thought I did as mistakes. But that question never never occurred to me would i do it again yes because that's how the lord has led me to where i'm at yeah yeah i mean would you do it again oh yeah 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. so yeah since you asked me that i'll i'll go next right so i was 25 i was one week away from my 26th birthday and i had been um assistant pastor for three years at the time three and a half years maybe and um, my grandfather uh, had the desire to uh, step away from that senior pastor role, and he expressed that. And and of course, you know, we went through the process was as a church um, presenting me as a candidate, um, voting. I got ninety seven percent of the vote. But I'll tell you this: this was interesting. I told my wife 
um, right before we went to the service because we lived on the church property. We were on church staff. And right before we went to the service, I'm pretty sure we were, we were in our backyard walking to the parking lot. I said, well, I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I said, but if I don't get the vote, I'm going to start looking for a place tomorrow. I don't know that anybody knows I said that. And so if it comes as a surprise to anybody, but I knew at that time, God had moved my heart to a place where I wanted to pastor. Absolutely. And it, like no doubt in my mind, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys who never second guesses himself. So when I don't second guess myself, I, I, I feel good. And that was one of those times I'm like, man, no, this is, this is what I, I'm going to do. And, and I'm, I, I didn't think I was ready. I thought I won't ever be ready. No. See, that's not to cut out Martin because I really want to hear what he's got to say. But I had the opposite thought. I was like, really? I'm so ready. Let me up there. Which <laughs> well, is exactly I was ready as an anxious. But but I I never felt like you're properly prepared. You have to get in. Yes, yeah, and I was the opposite. I was so I was so proud. I oh, was okay. like, okay, I, I understand. You yeah. know, I, just just let me up there. I'm gonna show everybody how it's done. And it okay, was, I fell flat on my face, and it was so good for me. Oh, okay. I see. I see where you're coming <laughs> from. Yeah, I, I had very low expectations of myself, and that really helped. <laughs> Speaking of low expectations, for the weekends. <laughs> wow, I appreciate Ooh. that. I, I like low expectations because they're easy to live up to. So yes, yes, right. So that's a very um, British I, thing I've learned. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we. I became a pastor when I was twenty-five, so it was in, uh, I guess it was May or June, two thousand five. And we were living in Northern Ireland at the time. And I became the pastor of Faith Baptist Church in Newton Abbey in uh, Northern Ireland. And there were probably maybe 20 or 30 in the church when when I got there. But I certainly have had times since then where nobody showed up, maybe because the family was sick or, you know, for whatever reason. So I, I've had that experience of being the only one in church or there being me and two other people or something. So, um, interesting experience. Okay. Here's a young guy right now, Andrew. I know Andrew Beatles. He's on our, mm -hmm. um, Facebook and he's asking Tom in what ways did he fail early in his pastoring? <sighs> well, I failed by being arrogant by definition, uh, but as far as specific mistakes I made, I insisted that people refer to me as Pastor Brennan, <laughs> which to this day is still my preference, but I'm not going to insist on it anymore. But I did. And so you, you can you picture this? You know, so I'm young, you know, I think. And so that just aggravated that whole situation. Um, I remember one time I had a guy come and um, we were small. We were running maybe 15 and he hadn't shaved and I told him if he wanted to help with the offering, he had to go shave. Just stuff hmm. like that. But the worst, the worst failure I had as a young pastor in my 20s was my preaching was very much <clears throat> get an idea, go find a verse, preach my idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first two things, first two, uh, pride is pride is leads to destruction or to humility. But the other things are just symptoms or, or small things. But but the the lack of biblical content in my preaching, it took me probably, I would say, seven or eight years, maybe even 10 years to get to the place where my preaching was was anchored in the Word of God. And I feel mm. bad about that. It was entertaining. It was interesting. 
And I had, I had people who would tell me that, you know, you're the first preacher that I ever, that ever kept me awake, but what's the point of that? If I'm not preaching the word of God, you know? So yeah. Mm. yeah I had that, a lot of people some... tell me I needed to slow down. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, how would you answer yeah, that, think... Martin? What would be some mistakes that you made? Oh, I didn't make any. <laughs> Good answer. I, I don't know no, what that's I... like, bro. I've made so many. It's not even fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say I always benefited from benefited from the training I had in that I, I was always shown to preach expositional messages. Now I've had to grow a lot because you know we all start out somewhere. Um, yeah. But I would say, in terms of my preaching ministry, is I lent too heavily towards teaching and not enough to application. Yeah. And that's difficult to listen to, um, you know, and you'll get some people who enjoy that style. But I, I think what I learned from that is a sermon is truth through personality. You you can't remove yourself from the delivery. But I think you also have to understand what is simply stuff that you enjoy and what's a personal preference in terms of style and content and what is actually needed um, by not just those that you relate to in the congregation, but everyone. Um, and so that, that was a big failure of mine, I think, starting out. And, you know, th there were many, many mistakes that were made, uh, probably underestimating how much ministry took place outside of the pulpit. Um, you know, that's... Um, Preaching at the outset, I think, is the hardest thing you do. In some ways, I think as you grow in ministry, preaching becomes one of the easiest things you do. Hmm. Does that make sense? And it sense? doesn't get any easier. It's just the other part of it. You realize how. Oh, I yeah. strongly so, I strongly agree with you, Martin. The preaching yes. gets easier because you get better so, at it and you have well, a, that, that a, is bigger, a bigger well to draw from. Yeah, yeah that is so you, you've got more resources to draw from. You've got more experience prepping messages. Right. Um, and and it's not that I would devalue preaching. I, I think that's still the primary responsibility that a pastor has. But there are so many things that happen outside of the pulpit that will just, it's difficult. It's tough. One and, of, uh, I think that's a great point. Yes. You know, in relation to what you did that was that that was good, and I and my, I made a list of fifteen. If we don't get to them all, I'll throw them on Twitter probably. But one of the things that really, when I look back on my time in my twenties, that that went well is I spent a lot of time building relationships mm. where you're sitting on somebody's porch, where you're in the garage with them while they're working on the car, well, you're you know you're 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 spending time with them. Um, Building, especially with the men, especially with the men, building relationships with them and with the seniors, um, and that really, when you do that, you 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 develop a love for them, and they a love for you, and that allows them to forgive you of a lot of things, and it helps you to learn how to pastor people. I'm a, I'm a mm -hmm. to this day, I'm a big believer in building relationships with the people you pastor. Yes, yeah, and I think something that was. A part of the struggle in, in the United Kingdom with that is a lot of people, they, they're first generation Christians, but they don't know, I'm trying to think how to word this, they don't invite the pastor into their lives. 
Um, And so to this day, I still struggle with how much does someone want me in their life as a pastor? And that can vary from person to person and place to place. And that's not just a United Kingdom thing anymore. Mm. I feel that same pressure. Yeah. And now something that, you know, has been raised, a couple have uh, mentioned is that, um, you know, having family time. And Mm. I, I think there were two things I was going to mention finances, but also family time. It's very easy as a young person to think you've got all the time in the world. And so, you know, next month things will slow down and I'll spend time with my family. And that becomes after the summer when it slows down, I'll spend time with my family. Right. Uh, Okay. Well, next year, you know, the church is going to be bigger. You know, we'll have more people. I can delegate some things and I can spend some time with my family. And the same with finances, you know, next month it's going to be better and I'll put away some money next year. We're going to be better off and we'll start retirement. Um, and as a young person, especially you think you've got forever. And then one day you turn around and you're 40 years old and you haven't started retirement yet or 50 or 60 or whatever. And so I think that was another big mistake that I made is putting things off and, by the grace of God, you know, we're, we're doing okay. And my, my kids are great. My family are great, but yeah. um, I wish I'd done some things differently in that regard. Cause mm. uh, as Daniel said on the comments there, things never slow down. No. Unless you make not. it. The, that's one thing with the school we started is it's added to my plate. Um, not as much as it's added to others, but it, it's added to my plate. But today I got to have lunch with my wife and daughter. And I couldn't do that before. I mean, it was, it was really cool. So I don't know. I, in speaking to the young man that I spoke with, one of the, my experience in this has, and, and so first of all, I made millions of mistakes, but I had the blessing of having a lot of coaching and mm. I had the, I had the, the fortune <laughs> of actually listening to some of that coaching. And so I'm not giving myself the credit here. I'm saying that I had a lot of good things told to me, even in that six months before I became the pastor. And I knew that the transition was coming. Um, But also growing up in a pastor's family, that was helpful. And Tom, I know you did, you did as well. And so it's, that was very helpful. Yeah, very. Um, I would say one thing that's important. So if a young man's going in to ministry and, and you know, who's really big about this is John Wilkerson. He, uh, he'll send, he'll send a young guy and say, you need to go pastor, you know? And I kind of like that because I do too. We're not seeing the rush. It's, it used to be a gold rush into ministry. Like Tom, you may have made your mistakes, but you were ready to go. I couldn't wait. Yeah. I couldn't wait. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. And I wish we had that part of it, you know? And I I was talking to someone, I got into full-time ministry Technically, while I was still in college, I was working full time at the church. Um, but you know, probably more specifically you know, on, on church staff uh, in a pastoral role when I was 22 years old, um, and it was it was 2011, so that would be 23 years old. And man, it, it, we were, we didn't we didn't get handed a, a list of job descriptions or anything like that. We didn't you know we didn't have a lot of communication from. Uh, those who were over us, it was just, you're the youth pastor or, well, you're doing this and I plan this event. And 
that never bothered me. It never bothered me. Now, on a on a personal level, sure, you have your little, you know, back and forths. Like, oh, I wish I knew more of what they wanted, all that. But but the fact that I didn't have a lot of direction never bothered me. Probably helped I was working for family. But when I became the pastor, the one thing that I I decided, <laughs> whether I was right or not, I don't know. But I decided that these people just voted in a 25-year-old pastor, so that's what they're going to get hmm. with all the mistakes that come with it. Sort of and like, I, just let no man despise thy youth. Yeah. 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 So take, you know, don't, if you're a young guy listening right now, don't listen to all of the mistakes and failures. The list of mistakes and failures cause you to think, oh, oh, I need to, I don't need to go do this. No, no, no. That's a great point. Loosen. I want to just say this to some people, loosen Mm up, you know, take the work of God seriously, but stop taking yourself seriously. You are going to step in it, man. You're going to say all kinds of stuff that you, you know, I saw a, a meme the other day that said, there is no one I relate to less than the person who posted on my Facebook page 10 years ago. (laughs) It's so true. The things that I said in my preaching 10 years ago, I go, Oh no, you know, I don't want to hear that. But guess what? You had to cut your teeth. Yeah. You have to. So two things. Are either of you still making mistakes? Absolutely. The Pope of Catholic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you wait until you think you're not going to make any mistakes, then you'll just never get started. Yep. So that's great. That's right. Um, I, I think you should prepare as much as you can and yeah. prayerfully rush into the ministry. But right. um, if you wait until you think you're not going to make any mistakes, well, then you'll never get started. That's, that's good. Let let a lot of things give you pause before you jump in, but don't let one of those things be fear. Right. Just don't, you ought to take it seriously. Don't get me wrong. But again, I knew God was moving my heart. I knew when it was time. I'm sorry. I just did. I mean, I, you know, you, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. And then the three of us, now that we're, we're all veterans, um, we, we need to let younger people make mistakes. And I think that's, I saw that a lot in Bryn that missionaries, some missionaries never handed the church over because um, they never felt like someone else was ready. And there's one young man in particular who was just on fire for the Lord, Mm -hmm. but the pastor of his church never felt like he was ready. And it wasn't, you know, the missionary's fault entirely, but eventually the young man just walked away because he felt like, well, I'm never going to be ready. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, why, why bother? So I think we need to let young people make mistakes. Oh, yeah. And in this age of everything's live streamed and everything, I mean, my generation, oh, yeah. my generation and the younger beyond me, you know, Gen Z or whatever, their whole life is online. And so I feel bad for them in that in that regard. But I, I just they're going to have to figure that out. We all do. Mm-hmm. Don't do not let the, the fear of man and the pressures of the world keep you from doing what God's called you to do. Go into the ministry if that's what God wants you to do. Because mm-hmm. and and listen to people and and take notes and all that. I, I guess I just before we get on to some of the more mechanics or instructive things about what we may tell someone in their 20s is is that I just want young guys to have a heart for it again. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. I want I want them I want to if I have to make my mistakes, okay. If if my zeal and my mistakes have to go hand in hand, I'll I'll take it. I'll take Absolutely. it. That's not, an ex, 
it's not an excuse. I mean, Tom, you didn't make an excuse for the way that you preached or the way, the way that you handled people or whatever. Um, but you got to get started. We've got to give young guys a chance. We've got to get them trained, taught, and, and seriously, the, the I desire. A, I think there's a real there. ministry for a church to understand that mm-hmm. putting up with some maybe not as good a preaching as they want or subpar preaching, to be more honest, mm-hmm. by giving young preachers a chance to preach, that is a ministry. Yes. And I, I've tried mm, to yeah. I've tried to bring that up to our church that you're 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 these guys have got to start somewhere. And so you're going to give them the opportunity. And so is that preaching going to be as good as what the pastor would preach in that slot? No, it's not. No, but he needs to develop. If your church is going to send out preachers, if it's going to send out men for ministry, right. you have to develop them to develop them. You have to have babies make messes. They just do. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's a, there's mm-hmm. other advantages. You know, we've talked about some of the uh, liabilities, but I think, of the, I think of the fact that young people have more energy. Mm-hmm. So when I was in my twenties, I had more energy than I have now. Yeah, and that's something that okay, so you're you're inexperienced, but you have right. energy, got enough so energy to make mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you, you got <laughs> enough energy to move beyond them for sure. It gets harder to move beyond. You know, them you can you can go older. work eighty hours a week, and and it doesn't yeah. necessarily drain you the way it would drain me at my age. And so it it mm-hmm. there there are advantages there too. Yes, you know, hundred percent. What is it? Is it Solomon that said to give the strength of thy youth, or is you know? Well, the evil days. I'll maybe draw something a little bit controversial, maybe, but I think the we shouldn't let the inexperienced cut their teeth on the least experienced in the church, which is our young people, and and that's something I think tends to happen. Is it's almost seen like a vocational career ladder. You start with the young people, mm-hmm. and then you work your way up to the you know the the main church, and I think that's dangerous. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what what are some th- in, what are some some constructive advice that we could give to young guys if if they're the kind who are chomping at the bits, ready to go, um, excited about the ministry? You know, what would you what would you tell someone like the me of ten years ago? I guess what 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 are some here's, things we could do? Here's a little one that was that was helpful in a small way. Dress conservatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you you won't you, if you dress like every other twenty five year old dresses, there will be some seniors that will not listen to you. Yeah. So what do you have to lose if you just dress more conservatively? Right. You it, it lends mm-hmm. you a little more authority than yes. you would otherwise. Again, not a big deal, but a relatively minor practical point. Right. But something that I was taught back then, and it, it and I tried to follow, and it helped. Uh-huh. I, I would say to that point, read the room. Yeah. Read the room. So yeah. if look, young guys have style. That's great. You know, I'm not telling you to go get a, a double breasted suit if that's not in style. However, um, I dress pretty conservatively, but I wear wild socks or I used to wear a lot more wild socks. You know, that was kind of a thing for the for a while. And what that did was that actually was endearing because it was, you could only see that much of it, <laughs> but yeah. But, but if I had been, you know, if I'd have been like, oh, I'm going to, you know, grow a hipster beard, wear the thick glasses, that's not me, skinny jeans, whatever. Yeah, I would have lost my 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 base. Yeah, I think that's one of the dangers in our youth is that we're looking to define ourselves somehow. Exterior. And some yeah. do go down the route of defining themselves by 
primarily by their appearance and it could mm-hmm. be an extreme of one or the other and don't be afraid to be forgettable you know and let mm. let the word be what people mm. remember and wow um don't be afraid to be forgettable no, i like that that's quotable man it is it is i've already forgotten it what was it again who said don't, that don't, so. yeah yeah that's so good. something else I, and i i would say build productive habits yes um yeah that's probably my biggest failure we, we never asked me about my failures Oh, was the well, failure well we only have a failure to build routines it's so. the failure to build routines and habits in my life yeah mm. yeah and and actually mandy just brought up something which i think is vital to come back to so we'll, i think we need to highlight that oh but, no i'm not looking at this and i'm afraid no. <laughs> lower your expectations of your husband no i'm just kidding she didn't <laughs> put that but no just just funny. around building habits because if you've got godly habits if you've got productive habits they are going to help you as you go forward. And one of the the quotes I was looking at, it said the second half of a man's life is made up of nothing, but the habits he has acquired during the first half. Mm. And for some older men, that's going to be pretty terrifying. But for a younger person, you know, take the long view of things, understand that you are building a foundation and it's ministry is not about days and weeks and months. It's about years and decades. Yeah. And so, be ready to just build the habits. And that's going to help you as well sometimes when you don't want to do things that you need to do. Yeah. But it's a habit and you get on with it. And um, so, yeah, yeah build, build godly habits. And this one sounds cliche, but I, I think for me is just don't be a big shot, you know, with mm-hmm. your people. Which, which I made a mistake about, right? And I referenced that earlier. Uh, maybe so. I wasn't thinking of that, but that's true. I mean, I, I think a lot of Bible students, you know, recent graduates do. Um, yeah, uh, it's yeah. a fine line between vision and excitement <laughs> and arrogance. Hey, yes, it, exactly. But be willing to get out and just talk to people about anything. Like Tom yes. was talking about relationships. Go talk to him, man. Make sure be, be out. You know, one of the things that God helped me to do, and I think it's probably cause I was raised to do it this way. So no credit to me, but I'm 30 minutes habitually. I am at the church no later than 30 minutes before the service starts and I'm available. Yeah. And I'm not, not my mm-hmm. study now with the, with the exception of like this past Wednesday, I got to the church five minutes before church started because I had a, a function and, and it just, but that's, that doesn't ever happen. Right. Mm-hmm. In general, be there, be present and don't, and Chris Burkholz put this on here. And so I'm going to tie it to what I'm saying as well. Don't take things personal. Don't take which, it is, which you usually do in your twenties. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, man! If you, my grandfather said this, and it stuck with me. He said, "You got to have tender, a tender heart and thick skin." Yeah, thick mm-hmm. skin and a tender heart. I think was you know, and it's like okay, so I've got to learn to let things bounce off of me. One of the things somebody accused me recently of having a photographic memory, which I do not. I have a an audiographic memory, which is not a word. But you tell me something, and it's likely to stick. You know, uh, unless you're my wife and ask me to go to the grocery <laughs> store, I have to call, I have to call you to ask, but, but just don't, don't take yourself so seriously, be approachable. And this is where I don't, I don't want to sound condescending to, to young guys, but act older than you are. 
Mm-hmm. Within like, reason, learn- yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, within. Well, I mean, one of the last points I had was grow up. And, <laughs> and I think maybe that's a little bit of without wanting to sound condescending, but. Well, be that um, an example of the believer in word. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, know, you can't afford to act like everyone else around you. You yeah. need to grow up. You've got to be mature. And, you know, that, that being sober minded is a part of the ministry. And yeah. so, so there's got to be a little bit of that. Both of you have just quoted the pastoral epistles. And one of the things on my list was in your 20s, dwell on the pastoral epistles. Yes. Read them again and again mm. and again and again. And even if they don't seem to be sticking, you know, or even if you, you, you're very conscious of your faults and your failings, you, you take that those books written. I don't know how Timothy was when he was pastoring, but it's probably right. not wrong to guess he was in his 20s. Um, to, to take what is written directly to you in that situation and just just marinate your your mind and your heart in it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's with huge. that, you know, a lot of people know the qualifications of the pastor, you know, to be, um, you know, the husband of one wife and all those things. But then I think there's a, an even deeper description of the pastor in the next chapter. Um, and I think we sometimes get hung up on the qualifications, but in the next chapter, you know, it's where it says that, you know, I remember something that really comforted me in the pastoral epistles. It said, if you put them in remembrance of these things, you'll be mm-hmm. a good minister. Yeah. And the realization that I don't always have to bring something yes. novel and new that they've never yes. heard before. Yes. Because chances are, if I do, it's because I've learn. made it up. So a lot yes. of your ministry is going to be reminding people of what they already know. So, yeah. You know, Not a lot surprised me about the ministry because of growing up in a pastor's home and because of thinking about it and preparing for it for 10 years before right. I started. But one of the things that surprised me was I thought if there was a problem in my church, if I preached on it, it would fix it. <laughs> oh, and it yeah. t- sometimes it was <laughs> it was quite an unrealistic or quite an unhappy discovery to realize I could address something <laughs> and people would just go right on doing what it was. They I would ignore you. And that's right. More than one. Clarence Sexton statement, you reap a harvest where you place an emphasis, right? You have uh-huh. to you have to come at it different angles, different times over a lengthy period of time in order to strengthen a weakness. That took me a long time to learn. Mm-hmm. Wow. That so yeah. one thing I'll say to, about the go ahead, Martin, I'll let you go first. No, I was just gonna say tying into a few things you, you said. A friend told me, um, I, I'd been on deputation and this was oh, I don't know, fifteen, eighteen years ago or something, and you know, I, I told him, you know, I was going places and I had someone told me, you know, that was the greatest message I've ever heard. And and it wasn't, couldn't have been. I mean, I, I know who I was and still am. And it was the accent. I could read a phone book and they would have loved it. But <laughs> the friend told me something that I've never forgot. And I've gone back to frequently. And it's that you shouldn't take criticisms to your heart or compliments to your head. Yeah. So yeah. receive them both in measure. Um, and, you know, Chris Burkholz mentioned something there. He said, some people won't like you move on. Yeah. And, you know, the criticism and the compliments can both destroy you if you and, allow them to. And learn to love the people who move on. Yes. That's oh, a big... It protects you from bitterness. Oh, which man. Is worth, yeah. Which is so invaluable in ministry. Because every minister... I mean, life causes bitterness, but especially yeah. in the ministry, because you're dealing with people who, who just, you just get hurt. The more you love, the more yeah. you hurt. And, and yes. yeah, man, and if you love in your keep, own strength, you withdraw. 
And yeah. some pastors, unfortunately, are at that point where they cut themselves off from everyone because it hurts yeah. to love and then things happen. So I keep and you want to kinda, protect yourself. I keep kind of going back and forth in my mind as we're talking because I'm the only one who didn't prepare notes for this because this is a conversation. But um, I'm glad you guys did. It's helpful. Um, I, I keep going back and forth from the constructive to also just like wanting to point out some of the benefits. Okay. One of the benefits of pastoring in your 20s and starting very young to me is that you do have everyone who takes a church, anyone who takes a church has a 10 year period of time where that church becomes their church. Right. I don't think it's less than 10 years. I, I do, think I had. It's okay. Well, the reason I think that, and it's totally experiential, so I'm fine with disagreement on this, but I think I had the best possible setup as in I was, I I had, I had managed not to do too much, uh, you know, enormously stupid stuff in my youth. I took the church that I passed or that I grew up in. Um, You know, there was so much familiarity. I did not experience the prophet is without honor syndrome. I just didn't. There was so much good in it. And I remember at year four thinking I can push the gas pedal. And it was like, no, you can't yet. And year five, God did a big work and moved us over to a new property. And boy, the identity of our church shifted from the former pastor to the new pastor at that moment in a big way. But it's been another five years almost. And it's been like, okay, we're still not quite there. Now, different situation here. My The founding pastor is my grandfather. He still attends here. I go to church every week with four generations of my family. So I get that. Here's what I was getting to. A young pastor wants everything to be the way that he wants it right away. No doubt. Hmm. But he doesn't have the desperation of a man who becomes the pastor of a church in his 50s or even 40s thinking that his time is limited. Now, all of our time is limited. But I knew, and I, without a great degree of certainty because we're not promised tomorrow, but I knew that this was a long-term thing for me and that I had a lot of time to grow. So I enjoyed it. So I tell guys, enjoy it. Do not, do not have thin skin. Do not be sensitive. People are going to come. People are going to go. Best advice I was given was by a pastor. He looked at me and he said, if you're going to the the top floor of a skyscraper and you get on an elevator, there are a lot of people going to get on and off before you get to the Mm -hmm. top. And that's not an, you know, that's not the the most, that's a good statement. It just helped me to realize that if I go the distance in ministry, that I'm not going to end up at the end of the race with the same people on my team or by my side as who I started with. That's just reality. Like a lot of the people, things we get bitter about in ministry are actually just occupational hazards. Mm -hmm. It's, it's part of it. It hurts. Let's learn from it and go on. So I think the benefit of just starting young is realizing you can love life and enjoy good days. You can you can make mistakes and grow from them. You do get a lot of grace as a young person that you don't get now that I'm almost 10 years the pastor here, uh, be 10 years this coming March. Um, there are some areas that I, I would, I tread much more carefully in now with my people than I did when I first started because I had more grace at the beginning. They knew so- I was young. Let me throw a question to you, Martin, um, because in this way, you and I are different than Brother Russ. Brother Russ, Pat, we all pastor relatively young, but you and I, for lack of a better word, struggled in our 20s in our pastorates versus Brother Russ. Um, how did you, Brother Wickens, handle the 
you know, the numbers don't go up like you want them to, the people don't show up like you want them to, the missions, you know, whatever program, whatever ministry you want to start doesn't catch fire like you want to. And mm-hmm. and dealing with that discouragement side of it in your 20s of wanting to get somewhere, young man in a hurry, and your church is just not going where you want it to go. How did you deal with that? Because I think that's a lot of the guys that will listen to this, that they will be there at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and if they don't see the results, they'll carry with that, carry that with them through into their 30s and 40s and 50s. And, you know, my experience, I think, was even different to yours in that in the United Kingdom, if you had a church of 50 to 100 within IFP circles, I mean, that was a healthy church. If right. you had 100 plus, I don't know if I could really think of too many that were in that position. I know of a few good Baptist churches that were. Um, and so churches on the whole were smaller. And so you didn't not strive to see people saved and discipled and added to the church. But I don't I don't think there was the same pressure, pressure. on yeah. numbers. And over here, it is, you know, and you know, we routinely on a Sunday morning are you know, over a hundred. And that's kind of a new normal for me. But, you know, I feel the pressure of, you know, if if back in England, I'd had a hundred people routinely turning up on a Sunday morning, that would have been outstanding. But even I fall into the mindset here of, oh man, you know, what do we do to go to 150, 200, 250, three, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's only because I'm looking around me too much. Um, and so I think you've got to learn to be content. You you strive for souls. You strive strive to disciple, uh, but understand that not every church is going to run into hundreds and hundreds. And it's um, you work hard, you dream big, but then you rest in what the Lord gives you. That's well said. For me, it was more plain, more vanilla. Someone asked me one time what because of the church I started in in. Pennsylvania still exists. They had services yesterday, Amen. Uh, last night, and I'm I'm. That's one of the things that just makes me happy about life. I that that church is still there, and not of course not just because of me, but um, that does make that does warm my heart. Somebody asked me one time, "What did you do best to make that happen?" And my answer was, "I didn't quit." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there were times maybe when I should have quit, when the numbers were so low, when the offerings were so low, when the people were so few that I would have been better off to take, you know, my, my bat and ball and go somewhere else to another team. But I just, I just didn't. And because of that, of that God giving me the grace just to stick it out through some really, really difficult years. There's a church there where there, where there wasn't before and there wouldn't right. be today. And mm-hmm. that, that, that whole sense of, Okay, this is awful, but we're going to try again next week. Um, yeah, that that really helped in in my situation dealing with those with that discouragement. And something else I want to throw out there, and we can't deal with it, you know, to any great degree. Um, and and some of the comments have been excellent. You know, I wish yes. we could go through all of them, but we are yeah. reading them. We are going to go back to them. Um, but this is a small thing, but find a hobby. Yeah, a lot of young people uh, and even older, you know, men, they have nothing outside of the ministry. Mm-hmm. And you know, before we're in the ministry, we're family, and we stand before the Lord, and we're an individual. Yeah. And you need something. Maybe you don't know it 
to begin with, but you need something that will distract you and relax you and give you a sense of accomplishment outside of the church. And I think that maybe ties in a little bit with, you know, if your be all and end all is, you know, things happening in the ministry yes, and you don't see it, then, you know, what are you going to do? And, and for me, there's been a number of things. I enjoy gardening. I enjoy running this year. I've been lousy at both. Um, but that's but, a season, you know, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, no, no, I think you're right. Find and, a and- hobby, find something that gives you a sense of identity and purpose and meaning outside of the ministry. Yeah. Well, I was going to say to your point of that is that somebody could easily come along, criticize that mindset and say, you know, Paul didn't have a hobby, uh, whatever. Paul was also really good at not placing his identity on anything, but the cross of Mm -hmm. Christ and preachers are generally not as good as Paul at that. I think where a hobby comes in as helpful is it, it does, it, it does basically teach you that not everything depends on you and Mm -hmm. you can, you can still do things outside of the ministry and enjoy life. Um, So I'm all for it. I mean, you were uh, kind enough to post my picture, Martin of the, uh, the dove dove poppers that we had right before the podcast. I just, I just finished cooking up my kids and I, my sons and I, we went uh, dove hunting on uh, labor day and my boys shot their first dove out of the sky. I know raising murderers. Uh, someone sent me an email and said, why doves? Why? <laughs> Apparently they mate for life. Oh, well, but, um, but I'm just thinking you know, about the fact that, you know, however many thousands of years ago, Noah released I know, that dove. What do you think he did with it? And it came back. What do you think he did with it after it came back? He, he let it live. Otherwise, there wouldn't be doves for you to shoot out of the sky on Labor Day. Well, there was more than one. There's more. Come on, guys. Why are we? Why are we distracting from my point? Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. But anyway, (laughs) um, whatever your point was. But I do that with my kids. Yeah, you know, it it gives you it gives you something outside of your office, your study. It gets you out of the building. Um, So again, uh, there's so much more we could say on so much, but I wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, and Mark, you said. You said you haven't been good at yours, but you know, the other thing is accept the fact that there are going to be seasons where you don't get to do certain things, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. they're going to be busy seasons. They're going to be seasons of adjustment. And that's where we're at right now is every new level is a level of adjustment where we're very busy. And then finally we get things settled down and we're like, wow, look, we have our family time really consistent this week. And just as soon as we say that, boom, then, you know, here comes something else. Mm -hmm. Um, But accept that, that whole seasonal aspect of it with growth. Uh, going back to something what you said, Martin, about um, you know, if you're looking at we got to push to 150 now or we got to push to this. I, I don't I don't think you should look at it that way. Well, and I know you're not looking at it that way. In other words, I don't think a young mm-hmm. pastor should. I think, however, it's wise to say we're preparing for what God gives us next. And if that's mm-hmm. your heart in it, yeah, that's totally different than the pressure than peer pressure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think C ministry is a lot, a lot of ministry is being prepared, you know, yep. for, for what the Lord allows. And if the Lord brings yep. it, well then praise him. If yep. it doesn't turn out the way you want, well praise him, but at least you've yep. done your part. Amen. Final piece of, of advice. Anyone? One last thing. I think the, the importance of loving people. Amen. I pray. I still pray every Sunday morning 
Lord, help me to love the people that walk in the door. Amen. Mm-hmm. Help me not to be aggravated by the things they do and say I wouldn't do and say. Um, <laughs> but help me love those people. If if we are if we're dispensing God to them, for lack of a better quick phrase, one of the things God is is God is love. And Amen. on a practical side, if I will love those people well, they will be very forgiving of my mm-hmm. inevitable yeah. superfluity of mistakes that I'll make as a young as a young pastor. Love covers and, a and, multitude of sins. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And and my people were. And I look back on that first church. And I love those people to this day. Yeah. I, I look forward to sharing heaven with them. They put up with so much from me, but there was such a great spirit there and such a sense of yeah. unity and going forward. And they were excited in the young pastor and I was excited in them. And, you know, as time went on, we we improved, but but just loving them. God loves them. He, he put you in their life to love them. I had a, a gentleman today who has been with me since the beginning. He was with my grandfather before. And he's in his 70s, um, older man, and still very active in the church. Definitely one of the more respected men, very, very much a servant. And he looked at me today. He was here on the property and doing some work. You know, he's just a servant. And he says, and and he stopped me because we have a big Sunday coming up. And so we were talking about that. And he goes, pastor, pastor. And I said, yes, sir. He goes, I just want to let you know, I love you very much. And I mm-hmm. thought, Man, if I had not been gracious to him at times, if I had not, if I had not loved him, I mean, God literally put this man in my life at the very beginning of my pastorate. And we have done, we've done war together, man, in a good way. We yeah, fought, yeah, we fought the yeah. devil together. We've, we've done yep. great events together and all that, yep. mm-hmm. but I love him dearly and he loves me in spite of some things. And I love him in spite of some things. And that's, that's the fruit of it is that 10 years later, he looked at me and he says, I love you. And he starts crying awesome. and I'm just like, mm-hmm. yeah. oh my word, you know, and, and he said some other nice things, but um, I think that point is, is a great way to conclude our, our thought for tonight. So this is the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so are we posting one of our episodes this coming Tuesday? Is that right? I think that's up to the boss, our tech guy, <laughs> the, the tech guy, the producer, um, Mr. Producer. Yes. I th- we'll have one up on uh, on Tuesday. Do you want so, to give a teaser of some of the episodes we've done? Yeah. What to expect? Or Yeah, go ahead. I, I don't remember what we've done, so <laughs> I was throwing it out to you. <laughs> I thought you were looking at the list. Okay. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Way to set that one up and then just I know, miss. man. I, I can't remember oh, all man. the ones we've recorded, but I know we've done one on Christian education. Um, we've mm-hmm. done two on separation. And I'm really excited for those. I think those ended up being really good conversations. And so um, we're gluttons for punishment. Yeah, we are. Yeah. But, you know, though, honestly, and I appreciated the way that you guys approached it. Really good stuff in those episodes from my perspective, as far as what you all said. Anyway, we did um, one on Jude, didn't we? We walked through the book of Jude. Mm -hmm. Um, Because somebody was asking about that way back in the the comments there. But yeah, we, we did Jude. And then yeah. on on the body on health, didn't we? Yes, on on um, the body, physical, like not rest, but taking care of yourself yeah. physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Oh yeah, we did because I, I remember talking about all the thing, all the healthy foods I'm eating, and Tom was like, "Those aren't 
healthy, Stephen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I do so, remember that. I, a little I, teaser. Yeah, that, that I, actually, it was up. just one thing. It was granola. And you said, oh, that's so not good for you. I'm like, yeah, but it helps me eat the other stuff that is. So <laughs> get over it. I'm, I'm only 35, all right? Um, hey, I tried to eat healthy yesterday. I had an appointment at the hospital. Try- I was on my way back and I thought, you know what? I'm going to have a salad. So I bought a salad, got partway through it and found a bug on the tomato. So you know what? Wow. I tried. Didn't work out. I've never yeah. found a bug on pizza. On no. you know, I figure anything you deep fry, you're not yeah. going to find anything living crawling on it. Oh, so it, it just becomes protein at that point. It's all good. Yeah. So yeah, we do have some. Yeah. We do have some good episodes coming. We hope that our listeners from today, uh, this will also get uploaded. So the people who listen to this later will hear it as as if it's you know live, but it's not really. Uh, but for those mm-hmm. who did join in tonight during the live, a lot of comments, a lot of people watching. And uh, again, more than we ever expected. And so you all are so gracious to tune in. Yes. And your feedback is always uh, appreciated. And we're thankful yes. for you today. So thanks for listening to episode one of season two of the Issues Podcast. <laughs>